All right, so this morning we continue on with this series, working through the Ten Commandments. And as we've been counting that down, today we are counting down to commandment number four, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I remember growing up, and uh, my, I, I grew up in the Cutlerville area, not too far from here, but my family moved there when I was at a pretty young age. So, so it's not like uh, we had generations that grew up in that area. So at a young age, my mom and dad buy a house in Cutlerville, and we moved to that Cutlerville area. And, and somewhere along the way, I, I think we begin to realize that, at least in the 1970s, Cutlerville had this sort of weird quirk about it. Quirk in, in that we began to realize that I bet you 90% of the people in our neighborhood all went to church. And easily half of them or more went to a Christian Reformed church. So we picked up along the way that, you know what, when it comes to Sunday, our neighborhood, all the people in our neighborhood had these rules. Goofy things that they would do or not do because it was Sunday, and it was a little bit different for all of them. But, but since we moved there, that, that was something that I guess we, my parents hadn't grown up in that kind of a setting. So I remember a conversation with my dad in which my dad said to me once, Tom, you know, there, there's all these things that it's okay for you to do on Sunday, but don't let the neighbors see you do it. <laughs> because that's just the kind of neighborhood it was, Right? Move ahead. Um, there, there was a time um, when I was working as a youth pastor on the south side of Chicago. So church on the south side of Chicago, south side of Chicago, it's a lot of, uh, of tradespeople, blue collar, right? They, they're, they're laying concrete and building and doing all that kind of thing, driving truck. And so it, it was church on the south side of Chicago. And there was one Sunday when, in particular, I had a friend who was visiting, a friend who was also a youth pastor in the area at one of the Baptist churches there. And we're walking out of church after church on this Sunday morning, and, and because it's south side of Chicago and being what it is, under the carport outside the church, there's maybe half a dozen guys who right after church, they grab their coffee, they go out there, and, and they, they light up a cigarette, and they, they smoke outdoors there. And I mean, this, is, this is past the time I know I've heard the stories when, I mean, everyone would smoke in the council room. You remember those things? It would just be hazy in there. Past that, so now they take it outdoors, and, and they're smoking under there. But, but here's, here's the thing. My friend who was with me who was from a Baptist background. Now, in his particular Baptist background, the top of the list of things you don't do are smoking and alcohol. So, so he walks out there. And he, we're walking out of church, and he sees these group of guys, and you could almost see his jaw hit the pavement. I mean, not only are they smoking, but they're doing it at church on a Sunday, right? I mean, that was top of the list. But he gathers, composes himself, and I think just to keep the conversation going, says to me as we're walking by, so where do we want to go out for lunch? And every single one of these guys standing there is thinking, their jaw hits the pavement. Did I just hear that right? They're going out to eat on a Sunday, right? And it's, I mean, completely past each other like that. Here's the thing. We, we grew up with things like this, right? We grew up with these things where Sunday meant that there was this, this list, a list of things that you could do or not do, should do or not do. And, 
And depending on who you are, your traditions, your background, where you come from, that list looked different. It wasn't the same for all of us. How did Sunday get to be like that? What is that about? Well, let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at this commandment that says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and try to get some picture from God's word of how that works for us today. So, jumping ahead to the New Testament, and this is going to be from Matthew chapter 11 and into chapter 12. So, the very last verses of Matthew 11, beginning into chapter 12, where Jesus has this to say about Sabbath. I'm starting at 11, verse 27. All these things have been committed to be my, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not condemn the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, So, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Sabbath. All of these rules and regulations and, and the ways that we observe this. So, so I, I think the best way for us to get into this is maybe let's, let's backtrack a little bit and let's talk about the origins. Where does Sabbath come from? How did it begin? Where did this all, all come into place anyway? And, you know, we, we could go all the way back to Genesis 1 in the creation. Because if you know the story of the creation in Genesis 1, God creates everything in six days and then rests on the seventh day. That God himself 
observes a Sabbath rest. That a pattern of that takes place right from the very beginning. But even though God does that, where does that first start happening for people? Well, you know, I'm I'm not sure if any of those early ones observed a Sabbath. If they did, I don't think we know about it because there's not mention of that in Scripture until you get to Exodus 16. That's where it first comes up. You know, if you know where the Ten Commandments are, the Ten Commandments come in Exodus 20. So we're not up to that quite yet. It's not the law that comes. But here's what happens in Exodus 16. Exodus 16 is where the people are wandering in the wilderness, heading towards Mount Sinai, and they're getting hungry, and they're complaining, and God sends manna. But when God sends manna, he does it with a pattern, doesn't he? He says, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to send you bread for six days. And on that sixth day, take in twice as much. Because you know what? On the seventh day, there won't be any. We're going to make a pattern now. A pattern where you do these things for six days. And on the seventh day, you live off the provision that has been there without having to go out and find it and gather it and do more for that. A pattern that's established. And really that's a pattern, when you think about it, that's a pattern that God is is maintaining. So it's not so much a pattern where God says, you know what, the seventh day, don't do any of the work, don't do any of that. It's more the pattern where God says, hey, hey, remember that creation thing that I did where there's six days that I work and then the seventh day I don't? The manna, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to work to give you the manna for six days, but I'm going to rest from it on the seventh. That God is simply maintaining the pattern of Sabbath rest that he had established already from the very beginning of creation. And now it's a pattern that involves his people, Israel. That they as well don't go out and gather on that day, but they stay and rest on that day as well. So there's where you begin to see some of this pattern of Sabbath take place, right? That it begins in Exodus 16. And then it becomes part of the Ten Commandments, the law. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And all the rules that go along with that, at least as we read it in the law, don't work or anyone in your house or any of the livestock or animals that you have. And we then trace that down today to figure, well, how does that work for us? How does that become something that we observe yet today? Does that rule still apply the same? I I ask that question because as you read through the Gospels, and even in this story today, and it's only one example of many that you see in the Gospels, in which Jesus seems to be getting in trouble with the religious leaders because he's not keeping the Sabbath. At least not the way they expect him to. He's breaking their Sabbath rules over and over. This commandment more than any of the others. Jesus seems to get in trouble again and again and again about Sabbath and what that meant and how we keep that. 
that Jesus is demonstrating some correction here. A correction of, you know what, I think we're a little bit off track and we need to re-steer that back in the right place. And Jesus is fulfilling to something new, some different Sabbath. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, when is Sabbath? I mean, Sabbath is Saturday. So if if we're going to take this commandment, the fourth commandment, and say, you know what, it's what it says in the Bible, and what it says in the Bible we're going to do, we're already wrong, because we've got the wrong day. I mean, if you're particular about that, then, you know, right up 44th Street, another mile, is the Seventh-day Adventist church. They meet for church on Saturday. They do that Sabbath thing on the actual Sabbath. Now, more than that, right? Not just Saturday, but if you're, if you're Jewish, when does it actually begin? Yeah, sundown on Friday. So, so when the sun sets on Friday, that's when Sabbath begins, and it goes till sunset on Saturday. I'm not sure how we do that here in West Michigan, because from November to March, there's no sun. So... <laughs> So how do you know when sundown starts if you live here? We don't do it like that anymore, do we? We've got the day wrong. We've got the time wrong. We have made Sabbath something different than what we just read about in Scripture. But we still have something we call Sabbath. So, How does this work for us? How is this one different? Why do we look at this commandment differently than it was in that Old Testament time and and interpret that as something different to do now in our time? Even though we still have these histories of rules and regulations that go along with that. So, So let's get to that, right? How does this whole Sabbath thing work? What is this even about anyway that God would do this? It has to do with something sacred, that Sabbath was, for them, a sacred time. And let's, let's explore this one a little bit, because we're going to see how this goes from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and then for the New Testament, how it applies to us. This whole idea, this whole concept of, of something that is sacred and holy. In the Old Testament, here's what you see. The pattern is this, that God sets, a, sets apart sacred things. Sacred in that it's set apart as special, different, holy. And what I mean by things is you find examples of this all over the place. First of all, God sets aside sacred people in particular. You know, when, when, the, when the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt and they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then with Joshua they come into the promised land and, and every single tribe gets their spot, their, their territory, their region. Joseph actually gets two, right? One for each of his two sons. Everyone's got their location where their tribe lives, except for one. Do you know which tribe doesn't have their own little spot somewhere in Egypt? Levi. There's no place for Levi. That's because the Levites were sacred, set apart, holy, They were the priests. So they would live among all of the tribes in different places in their little marked towns so that they could work as the priests of all Israel because they were sacred people, set apart, holy. They had other rules to follow that none of the others had to. 
about how it is that they had to do their hair and what it is that they had to wear their priestly garments and these purity rituals and laws they had to do to keep themselves clean and holy. The priests had to do those things. The Levites had to do those things because they were separate, holy, sacred people. And when they would do their work, they would do that in a particular place. Back to Exodus again. When, when Moses comes to, to Mount Sinai for the first time, and, and in Exodus it goes by two names. It's Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. It's the same place. In Exodus 3, Moses first comes to Mount Sinai. That's where he sees the whole burning bush thing, right? That God is there. And what is the very first thing that God says to Moses? He says, hang on, stop. Take off your shoes. No sandals here. Why? Because this place, this spot is holy, sacred ground. This place more than any others. Forty years later, Moses is back again on that same mountain. This time with all the people of Israel with him. Moses is the only one who can go up. But the Israelites all have to camp around the bottom. They're not allowed to go on that mountain because it's sacred space. No one else can go there. They get all the law, they get the instructions, they build the tabernacle, and and God's presence comes to the tabernacle, to that innermost room of the tabernacle, where only one priest is allowed to go. It's a sacred place. As the Israelites move then, and eventually Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem, and God's presence comes into that temple, and and there is the Holy of Holies, the inner room of that temple. Again, sacred space. No one could go in there except for the high priest. It's set apart that way. Do you see the pattern that's happening here? That God is marking out for himself things that are sacred and special and set apart. Time worked that way too. That in that pattern that God had of revealing that, you know what, there's this group of people that's set aside, they're sacred. There's this place, this location that's sacred. And you know what, there's also this time that's sacred, set apart. Sabbath. Sabbath for them, just like those other examples, were the, piece, were the pieces of their world that were set aside, marked as sacred, holy, special. But what happens to all of that? Because we don't do those same things anymore. You know, for us who lived in the New Testament in these times, Jesus has changed some of that, hasn't he? Think about this. These sacred people, the Levites, the priests, we don't have priests anymore in our church, right? I mean, we have what we call in our doctrine, in our teaching, in our theology, something that we refer to as the priesthood of all believers. If you want to know more about that, read the letters of First and Second Peter in the New Testament. That we, all of us who are God's people, all of us are now marked as sacred. Not just a particular set of people, not just only individuals, not just guys who've been to seminary, but it's all believers. 
All believers are now sacred, special, holy before God. And we don't have one place where God dwells anymore. You know, there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is traveling through Samaria and he meets this woman by a well and and this woman strikes up a conversation and says, you know, you Jewish people, you tell us that we have to go worship in Jerusalem even though our forefathers worshiped on this mountain. And, And Jesus has a reply. The reply he says to this woman is, I'm telling you, time is coming and it's already come when people will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's not about a place anymore, but it's about God dwelling within his people. It's what we commemorate today on this Pentecost Sunday, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within the people of God. So so the church, even though we're in this building, the building here is not the church. It's, It's the people who gather who are the church. And that happens wherever God's people gather. Some of us are physically here in this room. Some are watching online and in other places. And there are other congregations and other churches around the world. And God is present in every single one of those places. There is no longer this one sacred space the way there was in the Old Testament. That in Christ, that's different now. So I think the question for us to consider today is, you know, if, if Jesus has done something which has changed the pattern for sacred people, he's done something that changes the pattern for sacred space, does he also do something that changes the pattern for sacred time? Does Sabbath move? Is it different now than it was then? Well, of course, I'm going to say the answer to that is yes, because as I mentioned, we've got the day wrong, right? It's it's not Saturday, but we're gathering on Sunday. It's our way as a church of saying, you know what? Just as all people became sacred who believe in Jesus, just as the presence of God exists in all who are believers, not just one place, that that we now live lives in which we are redeemed to all of who we are, our entire lives, every day that we have is a day that is sacred to God because God is always with us. He's always present within us. Everywhere we go as God's people, God goes with us. And so all time, is sacred. And so we in the church have said, you know what, since, since all time is sacred, if we're going to maintain a pattern in which, in which we still remember this and celebrate this, what day should we pick? Well, why wouldn't it be Sunday, Resurrection Day, the day of Easter, the day when Jesus rose from the tomb, that that now has become the thing that we center on is what we remember that becomes the foundation, the bedrock of our pattern for remembering what we have from God. It begins on that resurrection day, that Sunday. And this, and this point, too, that, that it's, it's not the seventh day anymore, but Sunday, remember, is actually the first day of the week. That what we do as Sabbath for us isn't the conclusion, it's not the end of the week, but 
It's the very first thing that we do into a new week. That instead of wrapping up the week that we've been through, that this day for us is a day that launches us forward into a new week. That we begin our week that way. So how does this work? Well, in in this pattern that we saw, you know, even if you're looking closely, these verses that we read here today, Jesus makes reference to all of these other sacred things. Did you note that? And the answer that he gives to those Pharisees where he talks about in verse 3, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God. Sacred place. They ate the consecrated bread that was for the priests. Sacred people. That Jesus is already tipping his hand and showing his cards and saying, you know what, all these things that you've got about, you know, this is your little niche of the sacred thing. All of that's going to get bigger now. That in Christ, all of that becomes fulfilled. And that we follow God now in a Sabbath that in some ways then is new. That is redefined for us. That Jesus gives us a new pattern for that. And we celebrate that new pattern because now it's not the last day of our week. It's the first day of our week. It's what launches us forward. And so Jesus says, he says, in this passage he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In in Mark's gospel, he says it like this. That Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Not a confusing riddle there. What Jesus is after, what he's saying is, you know what? This Sabbath day is not something that you have to bend over backwards to follow all these rules and observe. You aren't meant for that, but that day is meant for you. And back up to what Jesus has just said before, right? That he gives an invitation. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A rest from your burdens. Sabbath, for us, is a reminder of that. Not just a reminder, but but it's a pattern. It's a rehearsal. That we as a people rehearse what that Sabbath rest looks like on one day of the week. And we still do that. No longer as this set of legalistic requirements... Because it's not that. But now it's something that for us is a pattern that points us to God. Points us to the rest that we have in Jesus. And it's not our place then to make judgments about that for others. What is it that helps you rest on the Sabbath? You know what, if there's something that helps you rest, do that. If there's something that focuses you on Jesus through a day like this, do that thing. But let's not judge others who maybe don't do those things the same way you do or I do or someone else does. That's not our place. Remember those stories I started with. I mean, those are stories that in some way all turn on judgment. We've got these rules and things we do on Sabbath, but there's judgment from others if you don't do it like they do it or like we expect. 
Look at what Paul says about this. This comes from Colossians 2. In Colossians 2, Paul says this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All of those sacred places sacred people, sacred time, all those things that were carved out as niches in the Old Testament were a shadow. We're foretelling what was coming, what God was up to, what's happened in Jesus. And they now all point to Christ that way. And so now it comes as an invitation where Jesus can say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So this new Sabbath that we look at is a Sabbath that points ahead to an eternal Sabbath, an eternal Sabbath in which, you know what, now it moves from being a commandment to an invitation. Do you catch that? Not a commandment of here's all the things you have to do, but an invitation. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, that God invites us into that. And as an invitation then, the Sabbath is no longer something that we we have to observe as much as it is something that we receive, that God gives it to us, that we then take that in as a reminder of God's grace given to us. We get a snapshot of that every Sunday when we gather for church, a snapshot, how that works together those times and places that we launch forward into this week. So think about the things that we do here in church, right? When we sing to God in church, we sing because God's grace moves our hearts to bring praise to him. And we do that here on this day that we set aside as that invitation. We pray together as our expression to God expressing ourselves to him. We read scripture to be reminded again that the grace we have from God is received by his holy word. We confess our sins in this place to be reminded of the forgiveness that comes from God. And we give an offering in this place to show our gratitude to God for the blessings that we have that come from him. All those little bits and pieces that we do on a Sunday in a worship service, all of those things are springboards, starting blocks, launch pads. All of those things push us forward into a week in which we have opportunity to do all of those things in some way. That we don't just sing to God here in this place on Sunday, but our hearts can express praise to God every day. We don't just pray to God here, but we express ourselves in prayer to God every day. That we don't just read scripture here on this one day, but we open our scriptures to hear from God every day. We don't just confess sin here, but we are reminded every day that when we fail, God forgives. And we don't just give an offering here on Sunday, but We do that as a reminder that throughout our entire week, there are opportunities for generosity with the blessings we have from God. This then, this day for us, is a springboard, a launch pad, a starting block that gets us in the pattern that takes us through the rest of the week. 
so that all of our time is now holy, sacred. So when you leave here today, may the pattern that you establish for the rest of this Sabbath day be one that helps launch you into the week ahead, resting securely in his grace, which we've received from God through Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are the one who offers and gives rest for us. Lord, we confess the times when we've made it more about rules than resting. We confess that there are times when we've made it more about judging others for not doing it the way we do it. Lord, may it be for us that we can once again return to this day as a launch pad to bring us forward to see how you've set us apart as your holy priesthood, that your presence goes with us, and that now everything we do in all the days of our week are redeemed by you. Lord, help us to do that in your will. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.